I'm Taffer. I'm Caddy. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset, especially today when we're reading a book that has uh, some colonial mindset, historically. (laughs) We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area, and maybe not write books where you turn them into caricatures. Tefer, are you feeling a certain way today? I am feeling tired today. <laughs> so today we are doing a an eagerly anticipated episode. Uh, we are talking about Midnight Sun by Stephanie Meyer, the Twilight remake that I'm not sure anybody asked for, narrated by <laughs> Edward Cullen. I mean, I guess that is a be- wait. I, I just want to touch on the fact that it is so important to name that this is the Twilight book that no one asked for let that sink in audience no one needed this book it just fell into our cheese loving laps now we have a guest today candace pie candace is a longtime friend of the show she was on episode seven uh talking about twilight so when candace sent us a message saying if you do not do an episode on midnight sun i will sue we thought who better to come on and talk with us about Midnight Sun than Candace Pye. Candace, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Although I kind of forced you into it, but it's fine. You know what? You can force me to do things any day, Candace. <laughs> you know what? You guys were saying it was the Twilight book that no one asked for, but I'm pretty sure um, Life and Death was, and also The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner was. So this is like the third Twilight book that nobody asked for. Oh, Candace, I knew we would get along. I knew (laughs) we would become quick friends. This is amazing. And now I I think somebody else had better kick us off because I have to confess, I have been working on this book for three weeks. I I did not, I could not finish it. Let's uh, maybe name the problem from the get-go is that this is, the story of a predatory man whose inner monologue resembles a sociopath's (laughs) and who is most likely an incel. And I don't know that the world needed another love story where a man wants to like covets a woman for like, I don't know, he loves her, he wants to eat her, I don't know the difference. Like, I don't know. I, I I was not on board with this one, I have to admit. There, I said it. I agree. I also feel like it was extremely questionable timing to release a book from that mindset. I was just kind of astounded by that generally. Um, and I also feel like she did some quick, like, recon to add some hashtag consent king 
themes into this book where <laughs> she makes him be like, oh, well, it's Bella's choice, obviously. But in reality, the entire book is about how he wants to, like, murder her and that it's her fault. I don't know. It's questionable. <laughs> I have to say the one thing that I really appreciated about this book, about the third of the book that I got through, um, was that Edward does, in fact, sound exactly like a hundred-year-old white man <laughs> whose frontal lobe was stopped at 17. Like, I've got to say, if you were like, what would a guy who has lived for 117 years but never developed past 17 sound like? The answer is an incel. So, like... You know, she yeah. did nail that. And I do feel like she aligned very closely with more classic vampire fic, which was kind of fun because Twilight is really not a classic vampire book. And this felt much more like something like the vampire or Dracula of the sort of monstrous side. But then again, I did not get far enough into the book to like get any, I think, Edward apologism. Uh, there is none. Uh, let's give no. a, quick a quick synopsis just for the fun of it. Um, so for anyone who has been living under a rock or has not been following book media, this is a retelling of Twilight. Twilight Book 1. Uh, Twilight Book 1 that has doubled in volume all of a sudden <laughs> because a man's perspective requires so <laughs> many words. Um so we really are going through like it's it's we're going through the steps edward is a sullen i don't know deep thinking half-assed deep thinking maybe um man child who's been you know celibate and who knows what else for quite some time and all of a sudden there's this young girl at school and she is irresistible smelling um, and he saves her and then he saves her again and then he saves her again and uh, it's just listen this story is quintessential colonial male perspective and there isn't any redeeming of edward who's a character that i actually love from the perspective of bella but i hate him from his own perspective and yet somehow i still find him to be a more interesting character than bella has ever been <laughs> because i just find her so Especially from his perspective, which was which is shocking because I thought that from the perspective of the person that is in love with her, I would be more interested in her. But it's worse. It's even worse than being in her head, in my opinion. <laughs> the thing that's like super fascinating to me about Bella in this book is that when Edward, I just really expected Edward to have a little more justification for his like obsessive love of Bella. Like I thought maybe he would be interested in her personality at all. And what it really seems like in the book is that he's like, I can't read your mind. You are an enigma and a conundrum and you smell delicious. This must be love. And it was just like... Actually, yeah. Which, again, if his frontal lobe is frozen at 17, I guess this makes sense. It gave me, you know, the last one gave me a lot of questions about vampire reproductive organs. And this one gave me a lot of questions about um, vampire brain development. That's such an accurate 
explanation of him. And it's true, maybe maybe there is a frontal lobe issue, but at the same time, like when you consider that his ability to retain information, like he has, he goes on and he brags about his multiple degrees and how, you know, he knows more than knows more than everyone. He is, he's basically, he describes himself almost as God's gift, you know, to the world. Like, his vampirism, um, you know, he he saved women in the past, you know. He, he only goes after monsters. So his moral compass is really pointing in, I don't know which direction, but a direction. And he, there's something holier than thou about him that really just revulsed me. And I'm wondering how this is going to affect my next reading of Twilight, because if all I have to go on now is this this like very very self-involved, uh, haughty, kind of pompous, I found him pompous, um, character, like, I had no longer have a reason to want him as a thirst object, you know? And I hate that. Maybe this book ruined Twilight. Crap. I found myself wondering in this uh, read if that was kind of Stephanie Meyer's point. Because Stephanie Meyer has, like, spoken before about how much she wishes she was remembered for things other than Twilight. Because Twilight was, like, her first books and they exploded huge fame. But she has written more since then. And she specifically says she wishes that she was remembered for Host. Um, she feels as though she learned a lot from the process of writing Twilight. Her her later books have been better. And I I almost wonder if her publishers were like, you need another Twilight book. We need another Twilight book out here. And she was just like, you know what? Fine. I like that perspective. Maybe it is her punishing us for wanting, for loving him so much. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I don't think that assassinating his character was the proper move. <laughs> I mean, just don't release another book. It's not like they're going to turn this into a movie. Like, could you imagine transforming these like the first okay so I want to let's take this example the first time Bella walks into the bio class right one that scene in Twilight is about a page and a half it is about 25 pages <laughs> in this book it is so long this whole book in general just it felt so long. Everything Ugh. is so unnecessarily extended. It's repetitive. I was telling Tepper, like, there are passages that are just repeated at least upwards of 30 times. Like the V mm -hmm. between her brows or whatever. Like, it's literally crazy. And it got to the point where I could just skip, like I said, whole paragraphs because it just didn't, it just, it was the same thing over and over. 20 pages <laughs> of the burn, the ache. <laughs> yeah, and then she walks into the class and then he goes into this, like, hypothetical murderous rampage because she smells good. It was and I think really school shooter vibes. Just exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. All of a sudden, his character is wondering, okay, I have about, like, a 30-second window in which I can kill everyone before someone ever even screams. And I was like, excuse me? Is this really something that we want to put 
on as a as a as a thought for this character that I mean I get it maybe she wants us to hate him but like I'm gonna kill everybody so I can eat this girl who smells nice come on that's just like that's proper incel talk like to me that is exactly what that sounded like it just made me deeply uncomfortable and the level of predation in this book is it's it's so inappropriate right like I don't know at what time it like in 2020 it is appropriate to release a book like it's literally like saying here's the joker all over again now let's feel bad for this poor white man who wants to kill everybody I'm not here for it I can't do it so I am honestly not convinced that we are supposed to feel sympathetic for Edward in this book and the, mm. the thing that I find, the, the only thing perhaps that I find interesting about this book is that I, I do feel a little bit of a rebellious vibe here. I do feel a little bit of a, okay, you have all been idealizing this predator. You have all been idealizing this unhealthy predatory relationship dynamic. Um, and here's what's going on on the inside. Now, you know, you thought Edward was a sympathetic predator who couldn't help himself. What if Edward is literally just a predator um, who sort of very casually adheres to a code because his family means a lot to him? And that I find really interesting. Um I don't know. I mean, I can't speak to Stephanie Meyer's motive, but it is something that I would believe that there's an element of kind of redeeming that predatory narrative by saying, yes, he is a predator. Yes, this is gross and there's nothing romantic about it. Well, then if we take it as a critique, okay, we can take it as a critique of the modern fairy tale then, which could be interesting, which would mean looking at it from the perspective of, you know, does Bella love him or does she love the danger of him? But even then, I feel like that comes back to blaming the victim, which I don't think is cool, mm -hmm. even though they get married and live happily ever after, uh, running through whatever forest with their Renesmee baby. You know what, though? I, I feel like she never really feels... Like, I feel like what I got from this book was that Bella never in the original series really feels edward's danger to that extent like she mm -hmm. feels the danger of other villains in the novel but i feel like with edward she always has this sort of uncompromisable trust in him and i feel like for me this book really <laughs> opened my eyes and was like oh that is truly incorrect like that is truly uh she's just she's missed the point <laughs> like she's out in left field like it it was really bad he's actually not great and um i think just because when you're in her her perspective you you're not really conscious of how close he actually comes to almost murdering her like multiple times whereas when you're in his head it's like oh no like it's literally there's a hair between I love you and I want to kill you basically. So oh. I think that was what was interesting to me in terms of like the danger thing is that, Oh, it's actually a threat. It's not just this like dark, mysterious boy who's like, you shouldn't be with me. It's like, Oh no, you actually shouldn't be with him. 
Maybe there will be a second installment of Midnight Sun and it'll be... Oh, dear God, no. And it'll be rewritten so Bella actually does what she should have done in the second book and ends up with Jacob and Edward has to deal and becomes a villain and then they have to fight vampires because Edward has stopped being a vegetarian and he's just out for Bella's blood and then then Jacob and his friends have to kill him and Bella feels so conflicted about it. You know what might be interesting to think about as well? Uh, my favorite character in the Twilight series, one Charlie Swan, uh, <laughs> was right all along. Yep. And yep. that is satisfying. Also, the scene where she breaks his heart and leaves Charlie is still the worst thing every time. Every yes. single time, it just tears my heart out. I'm like, this character does not deserve this. <laughs> yes. 100%. Poor Charlie. Charlie is the zaddy that we all love. Yes. There was a moment where he was talking about um, Alice and Jasper and sort of his frustration at Alice being so focused on Jasper. Um, that was an interesting That was an interesting glimpse into his superpowers, which maybe comes closer to the vampire stuff you wanted to talk about, Teffer. Um, but I like that, getting really a good perspective into what it must be like to have access to everyone's thoughts at the same time. Um, or, like, at any moment, really. Like, he's just waiting to see the future in his sister's brain, which is a little strange and funny. Um, but it's all, it also turns into a bit of a mind game between the two of them. That was a, that was nice. That was, that was a nice detail that I missed from the first one. Yeah. I was going to say we've been sort of dumping on the book (laughs) so far, which like very, you know, very called for a hundred percent. But there was actually a lot in the book that I really liked that I didn't get out of the original series, including that. Like I thought, I don't know, being able to read minds and having that whole dynamic with Alice was so fascinating to me. Um, And I actually think she pulled it off pretty well. Like, I thought it was, like, a good read for me in that way. And just, I I don't know. I've always thought that the Cullens are the most interesting part of the book, like I said. Like, I was never really (laughs) down with Bella. Um, So to get, you know, more of, like, um, time on these sibling characters, and especially with Alex, who I love, um, I thought that was fun for me. (laughs) With that in mind, I've got to say, as I was reading it, the thing that I kept thinking was the book I want from this. I want this classic vampire lit tone, but I wanted a prequel. I wanted a prequel about the Cullens. I wanted to hear how they became a family and how they became vampires. And I wanted a kind of sprawling through the centuries, you know, this is how this little coven came to be. Um, Which we kind of get, but not as much as I wanted to. Like, uh-huh. I'm like, I wish we could have cut the biology scene down about 19 pages and then <sighs> filled it back up with Cullen material. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I literally wanted a book that did not touch on Bella at all. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Like, like only prequel. We don't, we don't need to be in Forks anymore. We've had 7,000 books from every possible angle except for this one what you know whose perspective uh, would be interesting sorry the perspective that would be interesting just from hearing what you're saying is carlisle's who is also a zaddy incidentally yes in the book not the movie let's 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 make sure that we make a distinction Um, you know what i i have to confess that i have a little thing for that weird looking lizard man actor i like him i like him (laughs) 
Yeah, he looks slimy, but in a way that I would put up with for jewelry. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I, I I have an issue because Peter Facinelli is an actor that I didn't like because he was in Can't Hardly Wait. He plays that, like, super jock dude and who walks in and who's just, like, all biceps, no brain. And that really, like, I think that performance was either too close to life or he's just an incredible actor, um, which... Mm. But, like, that just ruined him for me forever. Like, he's just some douche bro in my mind. And when you slap on a a blonde wig on him (laughs) and ask him to speak with the corners of his mouth pinched together, like, it literally looks like he's trying to... I'm sorry, I was doing it at the same time. It literally looks like he's trying to, like, suckle the teat (laughs) of, like, a very small goat every time he talks. (laughs) Why did it have to be a goat? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I was, I was trying to think what has small teats, but th- that isn't like a cat or a dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, god. I mean, people. <laughs> I was I'm going sorry. to say maybe the difference here that is is that I don't mind all biceps, no brain, but then you just took it so much further than my imagination <laughs> had ever gone. <laughs> Next time you watch him act, just look for the pinched corners of the cheeks. It's really, it's like he's only trying to show that he has like four teeth at the, uh, on top and four teeth on the bottom. It's like he's trying to perfect the eight tooth situation. Like it's just, I can't show that there are no teeth in the rest of my mouth, I guess. I feel like that's a way I have seen men, especially like lipless white men talk a lot <laughs> like I think it might not even be an acting technique it might be a like certain kind of man thing like it's not manly to show Ooh. all your teeth if you if is it if fellas is it gay to have teeth I don't know what else did you uh <laughs> did you two love about this book like there's good in there definitely I have a list hold on let me pull that shit up <laughs> I came prepared guys I love that preparedness is next to godliness here. <laughs> I oh, can this, isn't, this isn't necessarily something that I loved, but just something I literally laughed out loud at is, I don't know if you got to this part, Tepper, but basically when, after the whole James thing happens in the studio, um, they're basically driving Bella to the hospital, and in the process, Alice has this whole sequence where, like, Edward sees through Alice's mind like how Alice is gonna basically like fake a crime scene to make it like you know like the whole stairs falling thing and all this stuff and go through this whole like multiple page sequence um which was fun but also the part about that that made me laugh out loud was she's going through all this and she's planning how she's gonna prep the fall and then she realizes that she needs um like a sweater to wear to put these like blood bags into and so she turns to Emmett and she's like, Emmett, can I have your hoodie? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And she puts it on. And then there's this like paragraph where Edward's like, God, that sweater is so chic. She looks so good. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Like they're in this intense scene where they're like driving a nearly dead Bella to the hospital and Edward's in this like panic. But then somehow he has enough time to sort of be like, God, you know what? Alice just really works that sweater. Like, damn. And I was just dead. At, I was dead. And he does the same thing, like, 
a few paragraphs later with a watch, he's like, God, she could start a trend. And I'm like, this is not the place. The love of your life is dying in your lap. Like, what? And you're like, God, that's sweater, Alice. Damn. But are Work we... it, girl. <laughs> Work it. Are we maybe discovering from this that Bella is Edward's second choice because Alice is already taken? Oh, shit. That would be an incredible twist. I mean, he does really love Alice. (laughs) So maybe that's why Jasper's so uncomfortable all the time. He's feeling the mood being weird because, yeah. Oh, that's sad. That's so sad. Um, That made me laugh. That is funny, actually. I quite like that bit. Um, talking about sweaters, there's a lot of like the talking about all the details around um, when they go into the city and they um, Edward chases away all the bad guys who are thinking horrible things about Bella and all that. I really like that scene. That actually gave me some comfort. I was like, okay, well, you can be predatory towards them. Like his desire of murder, that was really quite delicious. Um, and I mean, I want to, I want to be really clear I'm trashing this book but I'm adding it to the rotation of the Twilight books obviously yes yes yeah 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 I one thing that I really appreciated actually for background um I really liked knowing that Alice's like first vision of Bella is either she will be murdered or become a vampire Like, I really liked that binary choice showing up right from the get-go and knowing that they all kind of knew that Bella might become one of them and they were all very sort of interested. I feel like it does a really good job of explaining why the Cullens are so warm and welcoming and kind of curious about Bella. Um, Mm. That was a backstory kind of detail that I, I really thought enriched the narrative. I agree. I'm also going through my notes. Oh, okay. Edward talking about his strength. Okay. Can we talk? Can we talk about how he's like a strong man or a strong boy, as I want to refer to him <laughs> to BH? Because, um, like, every time he talks about gripping something, he crushes it. And I'm like, damn. Like, the scene where uh, he and Bella kiss. And he's like, he gets, like, he he pulls himself away from her because obviously he feels himself becoming dangerous and blah, blah, blah. Um, but he, his first reaction is to look if he's ripped her hands out of her arms. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty fun. Like, it's just, he's just so powerful. Like, he's like, oh, uh, during the, the biology class. He mentions that he grabs underneath the table and then he pulverizes it into sawdust and stuff like that. And I was like, that's fun. Like, I like that element because it's been played up and it stays true to, yeah, it stays true to the narrative of the fantasy of this this ridiculous world, right? Um, so, yeah, I really dug uh, those descriptions. They were really fun. Yeah, it's like if you, if like all the people around you were as fragile as bugs. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you pick up a bug and then you're like, oh, little buddy, did I take your leg off? Except that's yeah, it's really everybody. weird. I, I find that Stephanie Meyer is really good in some regards at like the whole world building thing, like you're saying. Um, and I think she's really consistent with it a lot of the time, which is good. Sometimes too consistent. But anyways, I think though there were some scenes where I was like, what is happening here? Where like her weird, 
Mormon undertones just keep coming through and you're just like, Steph, can I just be, please? Like there was one, there's one scene where um, Carlisle and Edward run into Siobhan and Maggie in the woods or whatever. And literally the entire paragraph, I swear to God, Edward says it like five times in his mind, but he's like, Siobhan's body and face were intensely female. They were just so intensely female. And I was like, what does that mean? Like literally, first of all, what does that mean? And second of all, why do you have to repeat it six times on a page? Like, <laughs> it's stuff like that that I'm just like, I want to throw this book across the goddamn room. Like I'm so over it. Speaking of Maybe this book was written by E. L. James, like the person who wrote um uh Fifty Shades. 50 Shades. Maybe Stephanie Meyer outsourced the work. Although there's not enough sex in this book. And like, can we talk about the fact that like I think Anne Rice s- like screwed us over because she made vampires so sexy and everything that they do is super erotic that hearing sort of the inner workings of Edward, like, he's horny, but he also talks about, like, never having thought about a woman the way that he thinks about Bella and things like that. Like, it's it's just not sexy enough. I think, I thought mm. the vampire perspective would definitely bring me, like, you know, that warm kind of glow filter that they have in the fourth, the last movie when uh, Bella wakes up and she's a vampire, like everything is warm and glowy and you can feel like there's like sensuality oozing from these creatures. They're hot to the touch for one another. They're super gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. Like bring that in. Let me feel like there's some sex. Like Edward's 112. Like, I mean, come on on he should be he should be in the mood to be like yes i have finally found the one like i really want her i can't i'm gonna break her like give me a bit of that tension like a bit of a bit of loins burning for a vampire what does that feel like like i want to know i agree i also think that it wasn't it's what you said it's like it wasn't sexy enough but it was way horny i feel like there's mm-hmm. a distinction a distinction like it's it's the horniest book ever but in the wrong ways like it's this sort of like repressed horn- mormon desire like horny and not like an actual sexy horny with any like actual gratification <laughs> at any point mm-hmm. and i honestly think that i i don't know i think it's important for me at least to like look at the whole mormon thing when reading these books because it's like I obviously we're all we're all like shooting the shit about it being really predatory and gross and all this stuff but I feel like honestly personally at least I don't feel like she's trying to you know like I don't think there's actually any like harm done per se I think it's just like her belief deep into the book which is fine um but I really think that Stephanie Meyer like she she does this thing where she makes him predatory in a way that she's trying like in her mind is i don't know how to phrase this probably but it's like in her mind she's just trying to be like this temptation is a sexual desire that like we're not allowed to have but we still have it and this whole thing but it reads as like really creepy and murdery and like rapey which is not Mm -hmm. good but but i really don't think that that's her intention whether that matters or not i don't know but i really do think it is the whole like sexual repression aspect that she's trying to convey. Um, I just don't know that she's necessarily successful, but that's that's mm-hmm. always been like a read that I had on it. 
especially in this book. Thank you for bringing up the like vampire desire as sexual desire veneer here because I really, really wanted to talk about that. Um, that you know we've talked about purity culture and Twilight and and how there's you know this big abstinence theme and um what I really found and maybe this is my perspective because I grew up with purity culture and I I think about it a lot but there's this aspect of wanting something makes you a monster and I think the reason that there's not a lot of sexiness in it is because Edward's murder desire is standing in for desire and arousal um edward doesn't get turned on because his murder sense gets turned on and edward can't want bella because wanting bella risks her life right um and that is just like played up so heavy-handed and in and one hand on one hand it's almost like a horror book right where there's like this predator who doesn't want to be a predator but is compelled to be but I, I really feel like the tension that's there, and that is something where the historically the eroticism of vampire lore comes from. It's the, the allure of the forbidden, of the overpowering, of the dangerous. Um, but instead of having it be this is a sexy vampire, it's saying desire and lust are like wanting to murder somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it made me wonder a couple of times if she was trying to, like, obviously Edward describes himself uh, to Bella as a monster uh, throughout the book series, the original book series. Um, but hearing, you know, like learning more about, about her own faith and how that impacts her writing, was Edward supposed to be like the fallen angel sort of who gets, you know, I don't know much about the Mormon faith, uh, and I'm I'm sorry, but um, you know, is he some type of fallen angel because he is quote unquote bad? Um, but he does have a moment of redemption when he's willing to sacrifice himself in uh, the second tome uh, for his uh, for his love. You know, like is that what the story is supposed to be? Is it supposed to be like the angel who saves, like Bella, the angel who's supposed to save Edward, the the satanic uh, representation, which shows that everyone can ultimately be saved? I think Carlisle is the savior figure more than Bella. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a valid. Yeah, I think, but the whole Bella Edward thing has just always been to me the whole Genesis story, like the whole like forbidden fruit that kind of reading more than like the fallen angel thing but Mm -hmm. I don't know I think also it's weird because I don't know if this happened to you guys reading it at all but I it this book as bad as it is first of all it's very poorly written and we can unpack and criticize till literally the world ends um which I I welcome wholeheartedly but I also think Mm -hmm. that um I don't know. I genuinely did think I I felt things I haven't felt since I was like 12 reading this <laughs> because <laughs> I think that like there's something about this. I honestly, hold on, let me pull it up because this morning I have a Goodreads account um, where I <laughs> do mini book reviews because I am a nerd. Uh, but oh, I yeah. wrote a little mini thing this morning because I was just thinking on this and I'll read it for you in just a couple sentences. I said, despite this being one of the most poorly written books I've read in literal years, it made me feel things I haven't felt since I was 12. 
There is so much I could unpack and criticize, but at the end of the day, this saga has always been a deliciously nonsensical love story that makes the hopelessly romantic preteen girl in me feel alive. Um, and then yeah. I said, you know, it's just like, I don't know, there's something about this book that like, although it is problematic in all these ways and whack, and as an adult woman, there's a lot of me that I'm like, oh, I can acknowledge this now. I feel like there's still like an appeal to it in the sense where I like genuinely enjoyed it on a on an earnest level in a way because it's like there's something so exciting about it still to me where it makes no sense and it's like this teenage romance where like it's just passion and nothing makes sense and I'm gonna die for you and all this stuff that is still appealing to me. Am I the only one that like genuinely thinks there is some value in that and it's not just like a personal value you know i am fully going to finish this book okay like i i i didn't i I didn't manage to but like what i have been wanting like that's partly because i've had a really busy week and i wanted to give it the attention that i want to give it i felt like this wasn't something i could read on my lunch break it's something that i need to like get really comfy or get in a bath and have a glass of something and enjoy <laughs> that thrill because it right. does it does have that thrill it is a guilty pleasure and as much as i have trashed stephanie meyer for these books i really like her <laughs> like she's one of those authors who i'm just like i would love to have a beer with her i would love to talk with her I about agree. the making of these books i would love to talk with her about the world building and i'm always hesitant to tag her in these episodes because i i know she probably gets just brutal criticism all the time and i would never want to yeah. tag her in anything that wasn't 100 percent positive but i also like i really want to be like stephanie chat with me let's let's have a drink let's talk about vampires also candace <laughs> You desperately made me want to now go back to school in order simply to write a PhD thesis that is locating the Twilight dynasty within vampire lore. And now that's all I want to (laughs) do. That's so fun. I know that for me, this, like, I can, I think it's important to note that, like, that's it. We can rag on a book, but because it's frustrating to read um, and that really intense monologue that Edward has going in his head 24 hours a day because he doesn't sleep it's exhausting but I'm going to read it over and over and over again until I can feel like I it resonates more and I mean this is a this is 100% going to fall into the guilty pleasures category for me in the long term like I think I think it's okay it's okay to, 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 to be upset with a lot of this stuff but I think that's the nice part of us being able to be critical together is that we can separate the good from the bad and recognize that like this is still a fun summer this is a perfect summer read by the way it really is it made my 2020 so much better you guys it really brought some light to these months that have been a struggle i'm telling you Agreed. And I kept thinking that um, if ever, because obviously the internet keeps wondering, will they make another Twilight? Um, I beg the universe not to produce another film of these because, uh, as you may have heard me say before, oh, they're, whew, they're, they're, they're terribly amazing. Um, I love them. But, but I think that they would just have to take the first movie and, like, remove that 
awful blue filter and just apply like a Batman filter to it. Like it gets dark and then like maybe add a couple of like, you know, I don't want to say MAGA hats, but like, because, <laughs> because it's not that bad, but like, you know, you want to add like a few elements. Like he talks at some point about how he loved the music in the fifties and that the music of the sixties and seventies was crap. And that made me personally offended. Uh, Cause I was like, Oh, Edward has poor taste. Um, what else, you know, is wrong with him? Um, but yeah, no, this yeah, series remains amazing. White doo-wop only. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> uh, he only wants to go to the sock hop. That's it. <laughs> At the same time, I feel like Edward definitely has one of those, like, sets of three cheap samurai swords in his bedroom. Oh, oh 100%. 100%. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, guys, we we have to wrap it up. I'm glad that we that we came around to the midnight sun coming out a little bit on our sad 2020. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that we got around to some of the positives. I'm glad that this is a safe space where we can be both critical and indulgent. Ditto. And thank you Candace for hanging out with us this afternoon. I am very happy that you were here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, and I will always want to talk about Twilight, so anytime. <laughs> Everyone always wants to talk about Twilight. We always yeah. come back to that. <laughs> I think that, and that's, the, that's brilliant. It, yeah. It's polarizing. You love it. You hate it. You can't be indifferent about any book in the Twilight series, Midnight Sun included. There you are. That's the review. Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast, and individually, I'm at caddy double underscore D. I'm at tefferbear. And Candace? Uh, you can follow me on everything at Candace Pi. That's Candace with an I and Pi with a Y. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks including early access to bonus content, shout-outs, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout-out to our patrons Catherine Reshi, Erica Stitchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Matt Dever, and Megan Jane. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. You can also support us for free, as always, by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend, maybe a friend who has strong opinions one way or another about the Twilight, Twilight, Twilight franchise. <laughs> Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their stuff at, for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tepper Ajemi, and that's me, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Dungeons. Dragons. Canada. The Multiverse Theory. Corgis. Queer representation. Reconciliation. Angels. Demons. Squirrels. Moose. Moose and squirrels. Sorcerers. Dinosaurs. Forests. Giants. Rogues. Warlocks. Plains. Sewers. Lavender.
Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.